Birthday celebrations are fun, right? Especially when we are young. One of the youth kids just celebrated her 17th birthday. Uh, I won't say her name because I don't want to embarrass her. Uh, I have a young child myself, uh, and his birthday celebrations are, uh, are really big to do. Uh, do you parents remember putting out birthday celebrations, birthday parties for your kids? Right? All the sugar, right? All the craziness. Do you remember that? Um, and I don't think you're ever too old. Um, I'm 52, and even I still have birthday parties. Right, guys? No? Okay. And at my son's birthday parties, uh, I can tell where most of the kids are with my son, how close they are to my son or not close they are to my son. You know, the ones that stick closer to him, the ones who play, um, are, the ones who stick, stick to him are closer to him, but the ones who kind of play more by themselves, they're not as close. I can tell by their response to him or his presence how close they are to my son. When people first hear about Jesus, there's typically one of a few responses. And I think one response that we hope to get is perhaps intrigue, you know, like a curiosity, like, you know, maybe they've, you know, we've aroused their interest. Maybe they're like, yeah, tell me more about this Jesus. Why is he so important to my salvation? What's up with this heaven thing? And maybe that conversation will lead to something uh, down the line. Maybe that person will become, maybe that person will become a Christian. And if we are already Christian, maybe we are seeking Jesus. Maybe we're intrigued by something. And if we're interested in something, right, we seek it. We seek Jesus. Does that describe you? Another response is, could be indifference, you know, not caring. Sometimes people don't really care or, or they really don't want to be bothered. Don't bother me and I won't bother you. Don't try to convert me. I'm not interested. And if we're already Christian, maybe we come to church on Sundays and maybe Fridays or a home group here and there. We go through the motions and our reaction to Jesus might be, meh, kind of indifferent, not really caring. Does that describe you? Or maybe a response is intimidation. Maybe it's hatred of Christianity. Maybe it's persecution of Christians. There's stu- there's, in the world today, there's such a strong reaction to the gospel message. I see many articles online criticizing Christians and their faith. Maybe you've seen the same. Some people hate the message of Jesus Christ and everything Christians stand for for any number of reasons. The gospel is offensive. How can Jesus be the only way to eternal salvation? There must be others. Why do Christians act a certain way? Why are they hypocrites? People get angry. And if we're already a Christian, if we already call ourselves believers, maybe we have some sins in our lives that that don't honor God, and, and honestly, we're okay with it. Maybe we're not really making any effort seeking Jesus to change our lives. Does that describe you? Intimidation. You know how we always pray, dear God, thank you for allowing us to meet, right? Have you ever prayed that at some meeting before? Thank you for allowing us to gather. Uh, when I, when, um, during the pandemic, we held youth group over, over Zoom, and we'd pray, like, thank you for allowing us to meet electronically. I think this comes from the origins of Christianity. And speaking of intimidation, first century Christians were frequently persecuted because of their belief in Jesus Christ. And I don't think we really experience this often in Southern California. For the first 300 years, Christians were persecuted. Christians would not worship the Roman emperor. And back then, everyone worshipped the Roman emperor. It was the law. 
Nero ruled, at a, Nero ruled at a time when the Apostle Paul was writing his letters. It's said that he burned parts of Rome and, Rome and watched it burn, and he blamed Christians for the, for the fire. We think Nero probably killed Paul and Peter. Domitian was next. He, he, insisted on, he insisted on the title Lord and God whenever he wrote a letter. He set up statues, himself, um, statues of himself in religious temples. He was famous for banishing Christian leaders. We think he's the one who exiled the Apostle John. Trajan forbade Christianity. He called it a secret society. And the Romans had these laws against secret societies, especially those that claimed that their God was the only God. Now, Trajan didn't actively seek out Christians. He didn't go hunting for them. But if he happened to catch one, he'd give them a chance to recant, uh, a chance to uh, deny their religion. And if they didn't recant, they would be executed. Decius issued a decree that Christianity was illegal in the entire Roman Empire. How would we feel if, like, U.S. Congress passed a law saying Christianity was illegal, right? Valerian made new laws against new conversions to Christianity. So if you were already Christian, okay, that's fine. That's cool. But nobody new can become a Christian. But what are Christians commanded to do? Go forth and make disciples, spread the gospel. Hard to do that when there's a law against that. And Galerius was, he was the most intense persecutor of the church. He destroyed all the church buildings in Italy. He destroyed Bibles, and he killed clergy. Anyone who worked in the church, he killed. Man, I hope I don't know anybody who works for the church. Am I right? Christian persecution still happens today in many parts of the world. Uh, here's one example. I'll, I'll read the quote here. They hung me up across an iron gate. And then they yanked open the gate, and my whole body lifted until my chest nearly split in two. I hung like that for four hours. Another quote in the article, a believer was praying, so a jailer made other prisoners lift him up to the ceiling and drop him to the ground many times until he died. There was frequent and widespread persecution in the early church, and it still happens today. So maybe now I can see why we always thank God for letting us meet in open public places. And I think we take that for granted now. I think it's probably easier to be a Christian in this country than others. I think it's probably easier to be a Christian now rather than 2,000 years ago. Speaking of which, let me pray. Heavenly Father, yeah, thank you for letting us to meet freely and openly, proclaiming that you are Lord and Savior without fear of persecution or reprisal. Father, I pray that you send the Spirit to enter our hearts this holiday season as, as we celebrate the birth of your Son, that we be convicted, that we would truly seek you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our passage today is Matthew chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, feel free to, uh, feel free, feel, feel free to get there. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star, and it rose, and have come to worship him. So the Magi come to Jerusalem, and they naturally assume that this new king will be born in the capital city of the Jews, Jerusalem. Now, when you hear the word king, right, there's, there's a lot of political meaning. Prince, king, emperor. The Jews did expect a king, but not in the way that Jesus interpreted his own kingship, his own rule. Our King Jesus came 
to serve and not to be served. But when King Herod hears the word king, he immediately gets triggered. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. What's King Herod's reaction to the news? He's disturbed. A king? Is this a challenger to my throne? You know what? It was the Magi who tipped off Herod about Jesus. Herod didn't even know any of this was happening until some foreigners came in and asked him about it. Where, they asked, where is this newborn king of the Jews? Where is he? A new king? And in Herod's mind, there's only room for one king himself. He can't tolerate respect, worship, being paid to another king. Herod was always on the lookout for people who might want to steal his throne from him. And so when he finds out that there's this king of the Jews has been born, you can bet he's disturbed. Where is this kid? And so he like, gathers all the religious leaders um, in Jerusalem and asks them where this Christ is to be born. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Oh, Herod, you sly dog. Herod can't even tolerate the slightest possibility of a challenger to his throne. No competition. So he fakes it. And he sends the Magi to find out this newborn king. But we know he's just lying through his teeth. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them, they had seen when, when, when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. The Magi were overjoyed. They were probably overjoyed when they saw the star. They were overjoyed when they found Jesus. They bowed down and worshipped him. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. You know, our traditional nativity scene has three wise men or kings visit Jesus on the night of his birth. But, you know, none none of that is actually known or mostly even true, right? The actual number of magi is never mentioned. It could have been two. It could have been three. It could have been 20. Can you imagine having given birth and like 20 dudes show up? I mean, I mean, yeah, they have presents, but it's, it's 20 dudes, right? And no matter their number, they, they almost certainly weren't kings, right? It's highly unlikely that kings would travel outside their own countries united in some way just to visit some child. And finally, they probably visited several months or probably a year, year and a half later after Jesus was born, but certainly not, certainly not at the night of his birth. Right? You can see they're, they're found in a house. Not, they don't find a baby in a manger. And he's referred to as a child, right? not an infant. So they're warned in a dream to go back into the country, to their country by another route. The Magi themselves, they probably already heard of Herod's reputation. So they probably already knew of the potential, like, I don't know, treachery behind his words when he said he wanted to go and worship Jesus. Herod's reign was pretty well known. It's pretty intense. He was ruthless in protecting his throne. Uh, He is known, he actually executed his wife and sons, um, and he ordered that that a member of every family was to be killed when he himself died, just so there would be widespread mourning. 
just to make sure everyone was sad when he himself passed. This is Herod. This is the king who is reigning at the time of Jesus. People knew Herod. The Magi were probably already thinking, you know, nice try, Herod, but we're going to go home another route. We're not coming back. So how do you think Herod's going to react? Somebody is ruthless like that. We're going to skip down to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitten by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its, and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is, this is crazy. Here we have Herod outwitted by the Magi, and so to make sure the newborn king doesn't grow up to be some sort of challenge, he's like, well, instead of trying to seeking out one boy, we'll just wipe out everybody there. This had to have been a horrific time for the families of Bethlehem. And at the time, we think that Bethlehem thankfully had a low population of around maybe 300 people. And there's estimates I read, like maybe, maybe about 20 babies were probably killed as a, as, a result, as a result of this. Still, it must have been a sad day in that town. And I, I can't really imagine what it would be like to be one of the soldiers who had to carry out that decree, Right? Like, you, must be, you have to be loyal to the Roman Empire, yet your conscience must be telling you that this is wrong, killing random boys. Do you remember what I talked about in the beginning of the sermon? I think we can draw a parallel between Herod and the Roman Empire or even present-day countries. I think, when I look back on this passage, I think it comes down to being paranoid with, about being challenged. You know, people, people don't like being challenged. Think of ourselves, right? We don't, we don't like being challenged. I don't like being challenged by my son, and he's, he's only five years old. People, people are already like, oh, Andy, wait till he gets to be a teenager. So people seek out to destroy any potential challengers. And in all three examples I've used, they have become very extreme. Babies killed or people imprisoned or tortured or, or executed. I, I put up this slide in the beginning, intrigue, indifference, intimidation, you know, responses to Jesus. You know, intrigue, you're interested in Jesus, maybe seeking Jesus. Indifference, maybe not really caring about Jesus one way or the other. Or intimidation, outright hostility toward Jesus. These are the three groups I want to talk about today. The Magi, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and King Herod. The Magi, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and King Herod. If you read through the book of Matthew, a common theme is about those who accept Jesus and those who reject Jesus. Those who accept Jesus and those who reject Jesus. And I think the responses of the Magi, the chief preachers and the teachers of the law and Herod, are typical of the ways people respond to Jesus today. Intrigue, indifference, or intimidation. The Magi are intrigued by Jesus. They want to go and worship Jesus. They went to great lengths to do so. And some people just love Jesus. They want, to, they want that love in their lives and they worship Him. He is our Lord and Savior. And today, some people are overjoyed just like the Magi. You know this kind of person, right? The kind who's always praising God for everything in their lives. They're seeking Jesus. Are we actively seeking Jesus just like the Magi were physically seeking Jesus? Are we rejoicing in Jesus? 
Are we excited to be with Jesus? Are we overjoyed to know Jesus? Do we count ourselves lucky to know Jesus? Are we like the Magi? The chief, the chief priests and the teachers of the law know the prophecies about Jesus. After all, they are the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So when Herod asked them where Jesus will be born, they didn't know exactly where. In Bethlehem, that's what our prophecy says. They studied scripture. It was literally their job to study scripture. Now, if you're a huge religious leader and the long-awaited Messiah who has been prophesied for centuries is finally born, wouldn't you want to take a look-see? Instead, they know all about Jesus, but they're not really seeking him, are they? And you read the book of Matthew, you'll, you'll see that's, that, that comes to be true. Instead, it's these outsiders, these magi, these Gentiles. They're the ones seeking Jesus. I would guess that most of us here know about Jesus. We might come to church, Sunday school, Friday nights, home groups, Bible studies, men's group, women's group. We might know some random facts about Jesus. We might know some of his teachings. But attending church is not strictly seeking Jesus. Going to Friday night fellowship is not strictly seeking Jesus. Going to home groups or Bible studies or youth group is not strictly seeking Jesus. Those things are part of it, and those things are good to do. We should be doing those things. The religious leaders, they studied scriptures day and night, more than us, but they were not actively seeking Jesus. Are we seeking Jesus spiritually? Are we asking him that his will be done in our lives? Or are we just going through the motions of church attendance, keeping up appearances, kind of indifferent, kind of not really caring toward our faith? Are we like the chief priests and the teachers of the law? Lastly, Herod. He wanted Jesus killed. And to make sure that Jesus would not challenge his throne, he wanted to make sure that Jesus did not enter anyone else's lives either. Some people are like this. They don't want Jesus in their lives. They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Stay out of my life, Jesus. Thank you very much. And stay out of other people's lives. Are we like Herod? Let's focus on him a bit. I think there is a little Herod in all of us. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just want to live a nice, comfortable life, fun, easy, I don't really want to be challenged to live rightly. I don't want to live against my sinful human desires. I don't know about you, but I have. I think there is a little Herod in all of us. Because you know what? It's, it's hard living a practical Christian life. It's a pain. I always have to, I always have to like, be good. I have to watch what I say. I have to watch what I do. There are things I want to do, but I can't because the Bible says I can't. The things I don't want to do, but I, I should because the Bible tells me I should. I even have to watch what I think. What I think. Even my thoughts are under scrutiny. What a pain, right? I think there's a little Herod in all of us. You know, life would be so much easier if I could just live according to my will, not God's will. It really would be so much simpler. I would rather my way, my way, not, not God's way. I'd rather live life my way, thank you very much. 
In our passage today, we, th- we see three responses to Jesus. Intrigue, indifference, and intimidation. And the truth is, as I was thinking about this this week, we are all probably a mixture of all three of these. This response to Jesus and the gospel message at various points in our lives. Maybe sometimes we truly are seeking Jesus and we find true joy in our faith. Maybe sometimes we get a little overwhelmed with life and start going through the motions of church life. We start not to care. We're kind of like on autopilot, you know what I'm talking about? Other things start to get our attention and focus and priority. And maybe sometimes, sometimes, we really rebel against God and we decide to do things our way in a way that suits us and our desires and we shut Jesus out. This holiday season, I invite you all to come see Jesus, to rejoice that He is our Lord. Right now, Jesus is just a child, but there was only one reason He came down to earth, to walk the earth with us. We humans are sinful. We mess up all the time. We think things in our minds that we shouldn't. We say things with our mouth that we shouldn't. We do things with our bodies with bad motives that we shouldn't. For our sins, our our just punishment is eternal separation from God, who is absolutely holy. And we need that Jesus to bridge that gap. So God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us on that cross so that whoever does not, so that whoever believes in Jesus does not perish in that everlasting torment we call hell, but enters into everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever believes, that's it. It takes faith, not actions. We can't ever earn heaven. We're just not good enough. Our salvation is through faith by God's grace. I think there is a little Herod in all of us. So I ask you this week to look inward at yourselves. I know we can get pretty comfortable in our lives. We don't live in the conditions of ancient Rome, nor do we live in a country where Christians are sought after and persecuted. But be like the Magi. Love Jesus. Greet Him. Worship Him. Rejoice in Him. Be grateful for the conditions that we live in. Be overjoyed that Jesus is a risen Lord and Savior. I talked about birthday celebrations at the beginning of this message. I can tell where most kids are with my son, how close they are or not close they are to my son. Tomorrow, most of us will hold birthday parties for Jesus, right? All around. Jesus knows where you stand with Him, how close you are or not close you are to Him. I hope, I hope in, the midi, uh, in the middle of the business tomorrow, the opening presents and hanging out with family and friends and hopefully good food, that we all take the time to think about where we are with Jesus. Take some time to reflect a little bit more about where we are in our faith. Regardless of where you stand in your response to Jesus, be it intrigue or indifference or intimidation, I hope I've given you something to think about this holiday season. He is our Lord and Savior. He is our hope and salvation. Merry Christmas, everyone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, tomorrow we celebrate the birth of your Son. That infant Son entering the world so helpless. This King who would die for us. Father, we we live our lives down here and we get 
Sometimes we get choked up by the, the, the thorny, the, the, the life's thorns. I pray that you send the Spirit down to us to convict our hearts. Help us seek you, Father. Just like the Magi did 2,000 years ago. Help us take joy. Help us be overjoyed knowing you as our risen Lord and Savior. In your Son's most holy and precious name, amen.